step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome, and once again, thank you for joining me. Uh, we are doing Know the Words of Jesus in 30 Days. Um, as of Wednesday, uh, we started with my father's business, uh, boyhood baptism and temptation. And um, I read to you for a little bit, about 30 minutes or so, and then, you know, I, uh, I cut it off. And, you know, because I want you to stay with me. I don't want you to, uh, you know, get bored or, or run out. You know, I mean, this is really good stuff, and I just like to keep your interest, and I hope that I am. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks, and I just give you all the praise in your Son Jesus' name. And Lord, I just ask uh, that um, you bless uh, you bless this day, uh, Friday, uh, a weekend ahead. Uh, it promises to be a warm one here in Kentucky with some little bit of rain here and there. But Lord, I just thank you for this time of season. I love the weather. And Father, I just love uh, the way you provide and take care of, of uh, us and, and all that you do all that you do and I just pray Heavenly Father that these words are blessed and that um, you just um, prick the hearts that um, needed to be pricked and uh, enrich those uh, that need to be enriched and I just give you all the praise and I just thank you for an opportunity to do uh, what I'm doing uh, thank you Lord in Jesus name I pray well we were reading, uh, as I said uh, at the beginning, the, my father's business, uh, boyhood, baptism, and temptation. And there was a couple of things that I wanted to share with you before I get started. We're doing the test, um, is what we're being going through next. Um, but a cultural insight, uh, the dove, the baptism of Jesus is the Trinity moment. The Gospels were the Son of Jesus is present along with the Spirit and the Father. By virtue of this episode, the dove became a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Among the Jews, as among most people of the ancient times, the dove symbolized a steadfast love, giving that dove's mate for life. More importantly, in the story of the great flood in Genesis, Noah sends out a dove to see if the floodwaters have begun to recede from the land. And when it returns to him with an olive branch, Noah knows that the waters are receding, that life can begin again. This must have been remembered by those who heard the story of Jesus' baptism. New life could begin after the cleansing water of baptism. Also, the dove was a symbol of Israel itself. The descent of the dove on Jesus would have brought to mind not only Noah and the ark, but also Jesus as the ideal Israelite, the representative of his people, rather in the way that an eagle descending on someone would identify him with America. 
All right. And um, did you know the season of Lent, the 40 days before Easter, is based on Jesus' 40 days of fasting and testing in the wilderness? Interesting. Okay. And we begin with the second part of I must excuse me my father's business boyhood baptism and temptation the test then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil and that's Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 the baptism with the descent of the Spirit and the approving voice of God is followed by temptation, where God is at work. Satan is at work. Satan saw a divine plan unfolding and sought to nip it at the bud. Clearly, he saw the path of suffering and death that Jesus intended to take, even if the Jews did not. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism. Then in Mark's version drove Jesus into the wilderness. There was no sitting on his laurels after he, he had heard the approving voice of God at the baptism. The Spirit did not drive Jesus into the wilderness so that he would fall, he would fail the test of temptation, but so that he would emerge a more determined spiritual warrior. The Jews had long expected a Messiah whose goal was the glory of Israel, but Jesus had something much greater in mind. He came to engage in mortal combat with evil, with Satan as its representative. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 Jesus, the Gospels, make clear was not going into the wilderness as a kind of spiritual retreat to be alone with God. The wilderness of Judah, where he went, was a desolate, foreboding place, and the people of the time thought of it as being infested, not only with beasts, but with demons as well. Jesus was going there for a distinct and unpleasant purpose. He would be doing what Adam and Eve did facing temptation. But instead of taking on Satan in a comfortable garden with food to spare, Jesus did it in the desert while he fasted. He was tempted, unlike Adam, when he was weak and alone. Thus, he was enduring what human beings endure. Satan comes after us at our weakest. The letter to the Hebrews was more to say about Jesus' temptation and its meaning than any part of the Bible, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Although Satan's intentions are evil, his tempting of Jesus is in divine scheme of things. 
the crucial role of testing Jesus, who passes the test with flying colors. But that is clearly not Satan's intention. He wants to frustrate God's plan. Satan's timing was perfect. Catch Jesus on a spiritual high, having heard the approving voice of God at baptism. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And that's Matthew verse four, chapter or chapter four, verse two and four. Satan if you are the Son of God, was a taunt rather than a doubt. Men had many doubts about who Jesus was, but Satan knew exactly. We will see in later chapters that the demons also knew precisely who Jesus was. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, which would have reminded readers of the 40 years the Israelites spent in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. Those 40 years were a time of testing for them, spiritually and morally, and for the most part they failed the test with their constant grumbling against God and Moses. Jesus, by contrast, passes the test with fine colors. As with all human beings, spiritual trials proceed, spiritual elevation. Two great figures from Israel's past, Moses and Elijah, both encountered God in the wilderness. So apparently did John the Baptist. Moses was on the mountain with God for 40 days. Elijah also. Jesus quotes De Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man does not live on bread alone. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 6 recalls the episode of the manna the heavenly bread that failed to please the Israelites who constantly grumbled against Moses and pined for the food they had in Egypt. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. All three of Jesus' responses to the devil are from Deuteronomy, part of the Law of Moses, and the five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, that the Jews held most dear. Collectively, all three temptations are temptations to power. Jesus resists temptation by standing fast in the word of God. Jesus was in fact doing what every well-brought-up Jewish child would have done, drawn on their memories of scripture when facing a difficult situation. Was Satan tempting Jesus to create bread for his own needs? No doubt. But something much bigger was involved. Among the people 
was the expectation that the Messiah would spread a great banquet for all the Jews. But Jesus knew that feeding the people would be a bribe, gaining a following by doling out material goods, the way the Roman empires brought the people's goodwill by providing free bread and entertainment. Later in his ministry, Jesus would feed a crowd of 5,000 people with just a small amount of food. But this miracle was not done to dazzle the crowd, but because so many had followed him and had no access to food. Later, after that great miracle of compassion, Jesus told the people, Do not work for food that spoils, for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. John chapter 6, verse 26 and 27. His words to the crowd echoes his words to Satan. Man does not live on bread alone. A great temptation is to use any gift for selfish reasons and not for the good of others. Jesus clearly showed in the great miracle of feeding the 5,000 that he could miraculously supply people with food compared to that turning a stone into bread would have been trivial enough, but it would be selfish use of his power. Although this temptation is often seen as the temptation to be a wonder worker, it can also be understood as the temptation to be what we might call a social reformer, one with a mission to eradicate hunger and poverty. People of faith have often given in to this temptation to turn stones into bread, or more precisely, to feed people physically while neglecting the great spiritual mission offering salvation. Churches and religious agencies are right to provide social aid, for after all, Jesus was a healer at the time, a provider of food. But his reply to Satan, that man lives by God's word, makes clear his mission and his followers' mission to proclaim God's will to the world, which no other agency or institution will do. It is likely that Jesus' temptation was meant to remind all Christians individually and collectively of the temptation to abuse their powers. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and that he will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 and 7. The holy city here is Jerusalem, of course. It is clear that neither the city nor the temple of God is off-limits to Satan. Later in life, Jesus would encounter his worst enemies among the priests who served in that temple. No one is quite sure what the highest point of the temple is. The height of the temple's royal porch over the Kidron Valley 
was said to be an awesome sight. So this might be what is meant. Whatever part of the gospel intended here was a widespread belief among the people that the Messiah would stand on the roof, the temple, a showy, a showy fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3, 1. Suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. From there, so that Jesus believed, the Messiah would announce that the day of deliverance from Israel's enemies had come. But Jesus was not that kind of Messiah. Jesus knows he is the Son of God, but like Israel itself, he is not to presume on this privilege. Israel always gave in to the temptation to regard itself as special, to assume privileges without the occupying responsibility of obedience. The great prophets of the Old Testament had to remind the Israelites that as God's people, they were to be humble and obedient, not proud and presumptuous. Satan tells Jesus to throw himself from the temple and even quotes scripture, Psalms 91, 11, 12, to back up his words. The devil's ability to quote scripture is a sign that speaking words from the Bible is no indication of the speaker's spiritual state. Satan knows the Bible and is willing to use it for evil ends, something painfully evident in the history of religion. One of the most overlooked and yet obvious lessons of the Bible is that the Bible itself can be twisted to evil ends, and familiarity with it it is no assurance of salvation. Jesus countered Satan's scripture quote with another scripture quote. Israel tested God in the wilderness by demanding water of a rock, or water to drink. And Exodus uh, chapter 17, verse 1-7, later Moses referred to this incident and told the people, Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massus. Deuteronomy 6.16 Putting oneself in mortal danger in order to test God's love was foolish and presumptuous. This was not to be the last time Jesus was tempted to do a dazzling miracle. Several times in his ministry his opponents and critics asked him for a sign, but he refused to do the miracles on demand. Jesus had no intention of giving this sort of sign. The Israelites in the wilderness were constantly seeing miraculous signs from God. Quail and manna sent as food, water springing from a rock, and many others. Yet people who lack faith will hardly be convinced by a miracle. The vast Roman Empire had plenty of charlatans and lunatics referring to themselves as sons of God, awful performing fake miracles to prove it. When Satan said, If you are the Son of God, he was tempting Jesus to be that type of miracle worker, one who just wanted to attract a following and profit from it. For Jesus being the Son of God meant obeying God, not performing, showing miracles. In other words, Satan was offering him the choice 
be the typical son of God that many people expect to be true to who you really are and obedient to God in all things. The pagans never expected that their wandering, working son of God's to die on a cross to redeem mankind. Jesus has the power to do miracles, of course, but at issue is whether he will use them on his own behalf or in obedience to God. Throughout the gospel, Jesus is the Son of God, not because of his miracles, but because he obeys God fully. The devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Obviously, one of the key terms in the gospel is worldly power versus spiritual power. Human beings are attracted to power and worship it, and they see their gods as being powerful. Jesus' father was powerful also, but he chose to reveal himself to mankind not as a typical power figure, but as a servant. And so the Jews' dreams of a power-wielding Messiah who would put all the Gentile nations under their feet were all wrong. Power versus self-sacrifice. Domination. Domination versus humble love. A king responded on the gilded throne of the power versus a Galilean carpenter who heals and teaches. Jesus is being offered power, but only at the cost of doing it in the world's way instead of God's way. Israel caved into the temptation to be like the other nations, to have a king rule over it, and this led to disaster. The temptation here is not to worship Satan, but to worship political power itself. Here Satan is saying, be the Messiah that all the Jews are waiting for, the one who will not only rule Israel, but all the other nations as well. For Jesus to wield political power would be the change that the Jews would welcome. All political hopes hinge on a regime change. Get rid of the old bosses, put in new bosses. In the period between the Old and New Testament, the Jews had done that with the Maccabee family, great soldiers and patriots. But the Maccabee descendants became wealthy and corrupt, which could have reminded the Jews of all the corrupt kings they had in the past. Jesus understood that a regime change meant nothing. But the heart change was everything. In a sense, every nation gets the politician it deserves. This had been true of the Jews. The Jews were not going to be saved by politicians and soldiers. In fact, as a nation, they weren't going to be saved at all. The remaint that would be saved would be those who looked for their salvation from God. In Luke's account of the temptation, the devil says, 
I will give you all their kingdoms, authority, and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. In Luke chapter 4, 6, the inhabited world has been given over to Satan, an idea reflected in various New Testament passages about Satan as the prince of this world. And you can find that in Colossians chapter 1, 13, Ephesians chapter 2, 2, and others. Jesus will not accept this gift. On the contrary, he says elsewhere, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. John chapter 12, verse 31. Since the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, there can be no compromising with the devil. The devil stands for everything that opposes God and will not bow down to him. Here he offers Jesus a choice. Go your appointed way and continue to serve God or break free from him and have the whole world at your disposal. But the price is bowing down to the devil. The choice is almost laughable. Serving God or serving the devil Jesus came to save the world, so here is the devil's greatest temptation. Save it by ruling as a benevolent dictator. In yielding to this temptation, Jesus would not have been the Christ, but the beast of Revelation. Change the world by becoming like the world. Defeat evil by compromising with politics has been called the art of the possible. But Jesus was attempting what was impossible. He was going to accomplish God's purpose and not by cutting a deal with the evil. At the end of the temptation story, Luke adds, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Satan is not completely done with Jesus. They would meet again. But for now, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had passed the great test. He was obedient son of God. He had done what Adam had failed to do. He withstood temptation. Well, that's the end of um, the first um, the first chapter there, uh, the first, uh, my father's business, boyhood baptism and temptation. And at the end of each uh, each session, they have a uh, little work here for you to do. And I listen to this and just contemplate it, and you can come back and and uh, you know click it again and, and pick it up. And they have five points here, and it's called putting the word to work. The boy Jesus in the temple told Mary and Joseph that he had to be about his father's business. What were some occasions in your own life when you felt that doing the work of God was a higher priority than family obligations? Think back to your own baptism or to another pivotal moment when you saw yourself 
as getting a fresh start in life? Did you feel in the days and weeks afterward that you were being tempted or tested? In what way? Man does not live on bread alone, is Jesus' reminder that taking care of people's material needs is not the sole objective for people of faith. Consider the organizations to which you devote time or money and size up their work, and the light of man does not live on bread alone. The temptation story shows that the devil can quote scripture or distort the truth. Can you think of some occasions in your own life when you or someone you knew used scripture in this way? And last, Jesus countered all three of Satan's temptations with quotations from the scripture. What were some times in your life when remembering a passage of scripture helped you work through temptation? And the memory verse for this first uh, workshop, workshop, <laughs> this first session, I should say, my father's business, boyhood baptism and temptation, is man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. Thank you once again for joining me. Thank you once again. Heavenly Father, I just give you the praise and I just thank you, dear Lord, for all that you continue to do. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that um, these words uh, spoken, uh, you know, fire, fire up those that do not know you, dear Heavenly Father, that they may go out and seek you. And for those that do love you, Lord, I hope that it inspires them to move closer to you because that's what it's all about, dear Lord. That's what it's all about is for us to, to get to know you better, to come into a closer relationship with you. And I just thank you for that opportunity. I thank you for your love, and I thank you for your blessings. And I pray that everyone has a safe and glorious weekend, dear Heavenly Father, and gracious. And we just give you all the praise in your Son Jesus' name. Okay, well, we'll start Monday with... Uh, the harvest is plentiful. In the meantime, be blessed. Be careful. Later. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.